So Money episode 910, Kelly Bradley, author of Always Her Daughter. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I was young. I was in my 30s when this started hitting me head on. And none of my friends were going through this. Nobody really understood. So when I'd say, you know, no, I really can't do that tonight or I can't, you know, attend this event or what have you. Many times it was because I was busy taking care of my mom, but oftentimes it was because I was just exhausted. Did you know that one in four millennials is a caregiver? Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, and we're talking about caring for aging parents or elder relatives, not children. You know, nobody teaches us how to prepare for or how to care for our parents as they get older, but how do you have those discussions when you move from being their child to being their caregiver? Our guest today is Kelly Bradley, who is the founder of The Devoted Daughter that provides families with resources as they transition to becoming caregivers for aging family members. She didn't start her career in senior care. It wasn't until her mother was diagnosed with diabetes that Kelly became her full-time caregiver. And it was only then did she realize that there weren't many resources to turn to for support. So... She created one of the leading in-home care companies serving thousands of families, but she wanted to help even more people navigate this emotional period. And that's where her book, Always Her Daughter, comes in. Also, she has a course called The Devoted Daughter Playbook. In our conversation, we talk about how Kelly afforded not just the finances of taking care of her mother, but the time. How do you balance managing your mother's life and your own? She was only, as you heard, in her 30s when her mother fell sick how to assess assisted living facilities, nursing homes, and how to empower your siblings who may not be as helpful or cooperative as you to get on board and chip in. Here's Kelly Bradley. Kelly Bradley, welcome to So Money, my friend, and congratulations on the new release of The Devoted Daughter, such a necessary book. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. I'm excited to be here today. Excited to to spread the word. Yeah, and I I remember I remember going back now maybe a year or two when we first connected. You worked with me on in my workshop book to brand and at the time you were running The Devoted Daughter, which is a website that's dedicated to resources, advice, community for people who are uh, working helping their their loved ones, caregivers essentially. And I was shocked to find out that So many of us are caregivers. We don't even maybe think of ourselves as caregivers, but one in four millennials are caregivers. All to say that your work, your, your, your life's work dedicated to helping people in this life phase. And then the book is so needed. So let's start with the book. Your book is called Always Her Daughter, which is a part memoir, part professional guide to help people through the senior care experience. One of the things that you really wanted to disrupt was that so 
often we go through this in isolation. We think that us taking care of our loved ones, as hard as it is, as as unique as, as it is, we think that we're alone in that experience and we're absolutely not. So you wanted to kind of provide some common resources and, and guidelines. What was the biggest struggle for you as you were taking care of your mother oh, okay. uh, diagnosed with diabetes many years ago and you became the primary caregiver? For you, that experience, what was the most difficult part? Well, I think, you know, I was young. I was in my 30s when this started hitting me head on. And none of my friends were going through this. Nobody really understood. So when I'd say, you know, no, I really can't do that tonight or I can't, you know, attend this event or what have you. Many times it was because I was busy taking care of my mom, but oftentimes it was because I was just exhausted. Yeah. And I thought, you know, people knew that I was doing this. 24 seven. And so the first thing that somebody would say, so well intended, by the way, but they'd say, Oh, how's your mom? Or what's going on with your mom? And I would think, I don't really want to talk about that. No, I just want to kind of be Kelly and, you know, be a normal 35 year old woman. So it might, what happened to me is my identity just got all wrapped up in it. And like you were just saying, Farnoosh, I didn't think of myself as a caregiver and I was doing everything under the sun from, you know, changing linens to cleaning up diarrhea to you name it. And I still didn't think of myself as a caregiver until years later, one of my colleagues said to me, yes, Kelly, you weren't able to fully, you know, be involved or immersed in your work because you were taking care of your own family. And I was like, wow, that was just a light bulb moment for me because I didn't see myself in that way. I just thought, isn't this what you do because you're a daughter? And one of the interesting things is women happen to be the people that, you know, you've worked so hard to get your education and you, you know, you're immersed in your career and all of a sudden something happens in the family. And typically the woman is the first one to leave and go, you know what, I'm going to quit. I've got to go take care of my parents. That's one of the things that I love about women you know, we're at the forefront of caregiving, but I mean, maybe that's another episode sort of like, how do you do, how do you afford that? Right. To be able to exactly right afford the time and the money in many cases to support your loved ones, be they your parents, uh, aging relatives, not to mention your children. Um, and then also of course, manage your own life. And so for you, I guess maybe that's a question for you that I have is how did you afford it? How did you afford all the time and money that you were spending with your mom for your mom? And then also, you know, building your own life. Well, I, I was fortunate that I had a nest egg, so I was able to walk away. I was also at the time I had started an in-home care company. So I was working not, I mean, to the best of my ability, it was a crazy dynamic because here I am taking care of my mom and I'm trying to take care of other people. It's like, what am I doing? Um, but I used, I drew from that experience in my own family to help other families. And we, as my brothers and myself talked about it several times, it's like, you know, we had the ability to walk away and take time out and really concentrate a hundred percent of our efforts with a great support system to help my mom. And so many times we're like, gosh, there's so many families that can't do this. You know, what happens to those families? And I think that's what drew me into in-home care Mm -hmm. was I felt like I can help other people with this process. When you sat down to write 
your book, which was extremely personal, and you almost uh, hesitated to publish it because of the stories and the personal shares. But when it came to the the advice portion of the book for everybody, that stuff that everybody could learn about. What what was important for you as far, as far as like the hierarchy of things that people absolutely need to know? I'm sure figuring out the finances is one part of it, but where do people begin? What are the first steps? If you're kind of, and a lot of times this happens to you very abruptly. It's not like you can foresee your parents getting sick. It's sort of one of those, like, you remember the day, right? When you get the news. So what would be your advice to somebody who's going through this right now? Before the phone rings in the middle of the night and you get that call, yeah. You really need to, the number one mistake, going back to your first part of the question, is that people wait too long to have the talk or start to get engaged with this. It's not something that you aspire to, you know, you're not raising your hand going, I want to learn how to be a caregiver for my mom and dad, right? So having the talk is super important, but even before that, and this is a little bit counterintuitive, but you need to be present, And if you can't be present, find someone who can be so that by the time you're getting ready to have the conversation with your folks, you've really been thoughtful about what's happening. Think about, you know, where they are today, where were they a year ago and where were they five years ago? And that'll really help help be the guide to open your eyes to see change. Because I think that so many times, you know, I mean, I thought of my mom this way. It's like, when did my hero start needing help to get to the grocery store and pay her bills? You know, my mom was, she had it all. Mm. So start to kind of look back in time to be able to almost not anticipate, but start to get a more realistic sense of the future. Yeah. And you, you know, you will see those changes and, you know, many of them will just be small, you know, things like driving, for example, all of a sudden people start to course correct themselves. It's like, oh, I'm not going to, I don't drive at night anymore. And you'll start to hear those things or see those small changes. And I, I talk about a lot of those in the book, but I think that that's a really important step. And then it opens your eyeballs and you think, okay, we've got to start gathering the troops and I need to talk to my brothers and sisters about this. If you need to bring in a third party, you need to bring in other help, support, I often hear from people, I can't count on my siblings. You know, I'm the person, like you, I'm sure this was your role, right? You took on that devoted daughter role, which is usually singular in every family. It's like one of the siblings is often the one that kind of rises to the occasion. But let's say you even are that person, but you really need some outside support. What are some resources for people that they just may not even know are available to them to help them to come in and help them with some of the day-to-day and like planning stuff that goes with aging parents? Well, uh, in-home care is a great resource, but before you even bring in in in-home care... And this is another place where it's really important to start early. People need to get comfortable because it can be an awkward dance. It's like you need the help to get the laundry done or to get things that are kind of falling by the wayside with mom and dad. Um, But mom and dad don't necessarily see it that way. So I think what's really important to have success with this uh, is that, number one, you get the right person. And number two, that your parents have had an opportunity to be heard. 
mom and dad, what do you think? What are your thoughts? And even if they're not realistic, people want to be heard. So allowing them that space in advance to say, okay, well, this is what I think we need help with. And then chiming in as the devoted daughter to say, okay, but this would really help me. Are you okay with that? So you're almost, you know, coming, you're, you're building an agreement with one another. Um, but back to getting the right person, that's just key. And so many folks, at least in my personal experience, professional experience, I would introduce a caregiver and the person would be lovely and polite. And then the next day it's like, well, I'm sorry, we really don't need the help. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I know that mom was just like, I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, The other option is just to, just for socialization, or if someone wants to get outside of the help, there are um, places like foster care centers or senior centers in in the community where there's just different activities. I mean, thinking about things that they might enjoy doing because at this time of life, you know, most people have retired, their life has changed a little bit. Maybe they've lost a pet or a spouse. It's also can be a time of loss. So getting them out and engaged is really important. And, and maybe it's more than bringing someone in, it's getting them out. That's really good advice. That's really good advice. Okay. So earlier we talked about how millennials, one in four are caregivers. This is a generation that is synonymous with uh, broke, you know, like whether you're looking at it from the student loans um, angle or just stagnant wages, high cost of living. A lot of them are living at home with their parents. What about this generation and, and how can they straddle taking care of you know, their families and taking care of themselves. Well, and just kind of back to what we were just speaking about, those community resources become really important for them. Even, you know, things like Meals on Wheels. We had Meals on Wheels for my dad. He was living with dementia, but it was awesome because it was a low cost solution to getting somebody in to get eyeballs on him. Mm -hmm. He was getting companionship. It ended up that the couple that was visiting him went to Oregon state university, which is where my dad played basketball. And so they knew one another. I mean, it was just an, and they came five days a week and they can do it for free if you don't have the funds, but if you have the funds available, they ask for a small donation. And that was just an amazing gift. The other low cost alternative is the senior centers. Many times though, all those activities are free of charge in your communities. So I would encourage, you know, them to get online and just look at what is available in the community. And the senior centers also oftentimes have local transportation. So they'll come pick people Hmm. up. That's a great reminder. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about your personal financial perspectives. I heard you had a nest egg and I just kind of want to know a little bit more about your financial upbringing and some of the values that you were raised with or some of the values that you weren't raised with. What's, what's, let's start with childhood. What's a snapshot, a scene from childhood that really captures the essence of like the financial values that you were raised with or some of the, on the, on the, on the flip side, some of the challenges that you experienced? Um, my parents both, you know, came from middle income families. My dad was a, orthodontist by trade. We grew up in a, I mean, what I would consider a a well-to-do family, but at the core of it, we were expected to work. So I remember saying to my mom, oh, well, I really, you know, I'd like that blouse from Nordstrom. And she's like, well, go get a babysitting job (laughs) because I'm not (laughs) paying for it. (laughs) So 
although they had the financial means to pay for things and you know, they, I mean, was very fortunate. My education was paid for. I mean, I was very lucky in a lot of respects, but there was also that work ethic and I'm so grateful for it now because I think it just makes such a difference. I mean, if they had just given us everything, we wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have been able to care for them. Right. And I mean, fast forward to becoming an entrepreneur. Um, do you think that you always wanted to be your own boss in some respect? Um, I worked in telecom for many years. Mm -hmm. So in in a sales capacity, I did that for 20 plus years. And at the end of it, I just kept thinking, I know there's more. I just, I, I was sort of searching for that being your own boss opportunity. And I knew that I was really good at service but I didn't know what that was going to look like. And when I started caring for my mom, I just thought, you know, there are so many people that need help. I remember one day I was at chemo with her and I would kind of just give her like a little bear hug and get her up and get her in her walker. I'm like, okay, mom, we're all set. We can go now. And this man sitting next to my mom, he just looked up at me just almost like with the sad dog eyes. And he's like, I wish I had somebody to help me like that. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just warmed my heart. And I thought, I can do this. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm good at it. I know, I know what the challenges are. I think I can help other families with this. And then that experience really led me into the devoted daughter because I was hearing a lot of different questions from families. And I'm like, this is bigger than in-home care. People need more than that. And they need to start earlier. Are you hopeful of our medical system and our healthcare system? Would there be such a need for what you're providing if it wasn't for the shortfall that we're experiencing currently from from the, from from government, frankly, and from pharma and healthcare? Well, I mean, that's one side of it, but the other side of it is 10,000 people are turning 65 every day. So, because we have this shift in, you know, all these people aging out, I think that that presents its own set of challenges right there. Um, but I agree with you. There's, there's still, you know, one of the things that is so difficult in the healthcare system is people, the physicians and nurses and staff are so strapped that you get in there and they don't have time to nurture you and teach you and Mm. point you in the right direction. It's just like you're in the lion's den and you're already scared, right? You get there and all you really care about is take care of my dad. You don't think about how much it's going to cost, what the insurance is. And so all of a sudden you can walk out of the hospital with a huge bill that's staggering. And, you know, it's like unbeknownst to you, this was all going on in the background, but nobody told you about it. So, but that begs the question, if you are in a situation where you can't take take care of your family member at home, they have to go somewhere how do you evaluate a facility? First of all, you have to go. You have to be there. And I would say that you need to be there at different times of the day and different days of the week because you want to see, you know, is it clean? What's the staffing like? What's feedback? You want to talk to other people who are there. Oftentimes, you know, people are hesitant to speak, but I found that if the more I'm in the facility, the more I see what's really going on. And when my mom, this is a typical thing that happens that's so frustrating is someone's being discharged from the hospital and they're not able to go home. 
because they need more time with physical therapy, occupational therapy, or what's called skilled nursing. So they need a nurse to oversee their care. And so the hospital will hand you a list and say, okay, well, these five places have availability. Pick one. Well, if you don't go check them out yourself, you could, it could be very problematic. I mean, you just don't know what you're going to get unless you go. What are some things to keep an eye out for? Because again, like you're going into this a little blind. You've been there. You've done this. You've talked to, you know, helped a thousand families. What are some quick things to assess? If I walk into a facility and I, it doesn't smell clean or there's an odd smell, that's number one. If I see people that are not being attended to, um, sitting in wheelchairs, like up by a, a nurse's station, a front desk, because they've just planted them there until they can get to them. Um, if I don't see staff that is interacting in a positive way, oftentimes you'll see people just with their heads down and they're not really even paying attention to the residents or the folks that are in there. So those are just, I think, quick things that you can just walk in and go, okay, this is not for me. Or it is. Hmm. Yeah, we you just hear a lot of scary stories, right, about <clears throat> healthcare facilities. Um, but to your point, I think the the best way to uh, manage that is to not completely outsource that to be there as much as possible, and and sort of feel like this is just you know there to be there as a fill in, not the primary. I mean, overnight, obviously, but that you got to be there as much as possible. Presence is key. Can't be, yeah. If you can't be, find someone who can be, you know, friends or family members or, you know, somebody who can just check in because the more that you're there mm -hmm. and people are aware, oh, Mrs. Smith is being checked on by her family every day. It, I mean, unfortunately, it makes a difference. So this is my sense of things is that when you are in a family and there are siblings and a parent gets sick, the, the, the family, the sibling that usually rises to the, uh, you know, help the family out is often the one that is deemed most financially stable, right? Or like has his or her life together enough to be able to now attend to mom and mom or dad, the eldest usually in that case. If you have siblings who feel like it's not their responsibility, shouldn't be their responsibility, don't they don't have the capacity to help, how do you have that difficult conversation with them? Because I think that siblings are inherent helpers. Like they should they should be involved and they, they shouldn't feel like they can just, you know, watch you do all of the work. It doesn't feel right. And I think that can also be fueled with a lot of resentment. So how do you have a conversation that isn't resentful, that is matter of fact, but also empowering, right? You want to empower your siblings to help. Well, I think the first thing you do is figure out the skill sets that everyone brings to the table. So, you know, somebody might be better with the, with paperwork and the finance piece and somebody else. I mean, this happened in our family. I'm tend to be a doer and a <laughs> push through it person, but my, and my sister-in-law is a nurse and she's really patient and a really good listener. And so we kind of just morphed into the roles and my brother did the financial piece because he's in the financial business and my younger brother's a doctor. So he did a lot of the medical stuff. So we just sort of divided it up and I seen other families go through this. I've tried to walk through that process with them and say, okay, well, what was your sister really good at? Well, she's a mm -hmm. great cook. 
okay, well, awesome. Then she can help with meals. Or, you know, my sister's got three kids and she's, you know, a single mom. And so this is the time she has, and this is what she could do. Because I think if you put unrealistic expectations on people, then it just falls apart. And you need to support one another too. It's like, great job. Thanks so much for helping mom this week. I mean, we, we kind of had almost a vacation schedule as well. So when my younger brother would come into town, I was like, I, I am, I'm going to be gone for 10 days. Call me if it's an emergency. Otherwise I'm just going to try to rest and relax. Well, it's a really good reminder that you just provided that it doesn't always have to be financial support, that if you don't feel financially stable, that you can still give your time, you can give your skills, you can um, give your attention, your focus. And and so, yeah. Watch a movie with them. Right, right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that complicated. I think that that's the one thing that people, especially... Sometimes the driver or the oldest sibling in the family tends to just kind of take charge. And that's one of the things that I talk about in the book is just try to step back and don't steamroll the process. Yeah, it's so important. Well, this is a question that is actually uh, in partnership with our sponsor, Chase. This is uh, a question that all of our guests are receiving this month. And we want to know, when it comes to financial planning, Kelly, what's one thing that for you equates to financial security? For me personally? Yes. I think for for my personal financial security, I want to be in a position where I've got enough recurrent, enough income coming in that I don't have to be concerned. And that if there was a crisis, if I have a healthcare crisis in my life or in my spouse's life, that we are prepared for that. We've got the wherewithal, we have the map drawn out and we're not going to be strapped or we're not going to lose our house. We're secure in all the things that keep us safe. How do you come up with that number? I haven't come up with that number. <laughs> I'll just be dead honest with you. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but it's, so it's like a work in progress and life evolves. So what your number last year could be different than your number this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're making some changes and doing some things. So I don't, you know, I'm not sure what that looks like, but I certainly don't, you know, I don't want to be strapped to a house payment or any major obligations. I want all of those things taken care of. Let's talk about your course. This is a course that is all about how to have the conversation with your parents, how to take away the keys, how to talk about moving, downsizing, step-by-step questions answered. Are these questions that you have, are these like the most common questions that you have just experienced over the years? Yeah. It Well, what kept coming up for me was people were, people asked the same things over and over again. And I really want to give people a real life roadmap. So we call it the playbook for aging parents. And it starts with how to have the talk. But these are just, you know, it's basic information. These are ideas that people can kind of jump in and listen to. I also, one of the things that was really important to me was that folks had the opportunity to ask questions live. So it's an eight week course, Mm -hmm. but every Tuesday they can jump on a call with me and ask their questions. Because this is not a linear path. So, you know, everything's going along fine. All of a sudden, dad has a heart attack. Well, dad was the driver in the family. Now, how do we balance all these things out? It's just, if you haven't been through it, you just don't know what you don't know. So 
I want to take people through that process and give them the tools and the information that they need. And also it'll be a resource for them to go back to. Maybe you don't need a conversation on driving right now, but in six months you do. So it's a place where people can go back and say, oh, what did, now what did Kelly say about driving? How do we do that? Or who do we call? Or, you know, what are the options for, for housing? I don't really even know what those, what those mean. And what do those facilities have to offer and all that good stuff. So a roadmap for aging parents, playbook. And that's at thedevotedaughter.com slash playbook. I just think it's great to be able to provide a community for people because as you, we talked about from the very beginning, it's part of the, this, this, the problem is the isolating factor. You feel like you can't talk to anyone. No one understands. How could anybody know what I'm going through? You know, <laughs> and your community knows. And so inviting us into that is a real gift. Kelly Bradley, thank you so much and congratulations. Thank you. It was great being here, Farnoosh. Thanks to Kelly for joining us. Her book, again, is called Always Her Daughter, and her website is thedevoteddaughter.com. You can follow her on Instagram at thedevoteddaughter, and the playbook course is at thedevoteddaughter.com forward slash playbook. All these links, information, transcript, audio is available at somoneypodcast.com. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your Friday questions. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I hope your day is so money.